Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. So turn to Isaiah chapter 1, and we're going to read just a few verses here to get us into the text. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Isaiah, of course, is a book in the Old Testament, if you're trying to find it still, uh, about a little more than halfway through the Old Testament, about halfway in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says this, and it's the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What a beautiful promise. Though they are crimson as red, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we praise your holy name. You are a good God to us. As we study the, uh, the prophet Isaiah and the words you spoke through him, would you awaken our imagination Speak to us. May we read these passages today and think about our own conscience, our own shortcomings and the way you comfort us, the way you come, and and Lord, when we need it, rebuke us. But Lord, ultimately, you love us and comfort us. So we praise your holy name. You are a good God. We love you. We honor you. And everybody screamed, Amen. amen. Let me start off with a story about this guy. Anybody know this guy? or at least know who this guy is. So, so some of our pastors around here have met Eugene Peterson. Anybody, raise your hand if you know who, of him, who he is. Uh, he, he translated the message. Often I'll hear people say, oh, he wrote the message Bible. No, there's a big difference between writing the Bible and translating the Bible. He translated uh, the Bible into a very modern-day English from the Greek and the Hebrew. He's a really, really cool guy, in my opinion. And years ago, um, <clears throat> the, the message Bible came out from 93 to 2002. It was like came out in, in books and parts. So the first part was the Psalms in which he translated into English in a very modern day English. And uh, someone who was very famous, uh, the lead singer of the band U2, his name is Bono, uh, read the, the message it, it translation of the Psalms and said it's his favorite book of all time and went on this interview saying how great it was back in the day and how cool it was. Um, and a student of Eugene Peterson's, Dr. Peterson, uh, came to him and said, Look, Dr. Peterson, that your name is in Bono, the singer of U2, talks about you. How awesome is this? And Eugene Peterson says, Well, just tell me one thing. Who is Bono? Um, if you don't know who Bono is, there's this whole website now. Because iTunes just came out with a free U2's new album. And so some people got it automatically downloaded to your, their phone. And then there was all these tweets that went out quite funny saying like, who in the world is U2 and how do they get on my phone? So if you don't know who U2 is, uh, you can go to that website and be amused as well. But I know who U2 is. Anybody else like, would say it's one of their favorite bands of all time? Okay, me too. Um, they're a really cool band. So anyways, Eugene uh, Bono invites Eugene Peterson out to hang out with him. And if, if Bono invites you to hang out with him, what do you do? You go and hang out with Bono. He's a cool guy. And uh, Eugene Peterson turns him down. Why? Because he's in the middle of translating the book of Isaiah. So that whole story to say, Isaiah, better than you two. 
<laughs> Anyways, we're talking about Isaiah this morning, and a few announcements, and then we'll get right into the text. And I really do believe the book of Isaiah is uh, maybe underestimated in our world as uh, uh, Protestant evangelical Americans living in 2014 or whatever year it is. Um, it's just, it's a book that's underestimated. It's like an Old Testament book. It's full of prophecy. What is this book? It's not read as much as other books of the Bible or studied as much, and I'm really excited to do so. So, some announcements as we begin. If you're new, there's cards on your table. Uh, you can put your name as, as much or as little information as you want to give us. And then as you leave, there'll be nice people there to greet you, meet you, uh, give you a gift. Um, I'll, I'll personally email you if you check that you want an email or a phone call. I could call you. I could chat with you, tell you more about things going on around new life and college and 20-somethings ministry. We have great small groups as well. And if you're new, you might not know that we usually go over to the second service together right after Sunday school. There'll be a little break, and then we'll go over, and most of us sit in the back of section 10, and so if you don't know anybody and, and want to go over to big church, find somebody going over, and um, it's a great way to be a part of the service with people, and a contest. Who doesn't like contests? Uh, we're going to do a best post contest. Did you know that the Mill Sunday School is 10 years old this month? So way back in the day, in 04, we started Sunday school, and I think it was like 10 people who were nerdy and loved studying the Bible, and it's been going for 10 years now. And so um, if you want to post something, just, just kind of a fun thing, uh, post something on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or the Instagrams, uh, a picture, something funny, something serious. I would love to see like serious like uh, posts and conversations about Isaiah and what we're talking about. Um, so if you do that, you can win the best post award. We'll kind of keep the contest going for almost a full, uh, maybe this, around this time next month we'll decide. So keep your posts up if just for fun. And whoever wins gets the very nerdy uh, apologetic study Bible, which is like $50 real, retail. And it's a really cool Bible with lots of study stuff and nerdy notes and all that kind of thing. So that's that. Let's talk about the book of Isaiah. We're going to talk about it this Sunday, next Sunday, all through October. And we'll start off this morning with our nerd alert of the day. <laughs> Brought to us by St. Jerome. Uh, lived in the 300s and 400s. I, I uh, talk about him just to say what he said about Isaiah. And Jerome was the translator uh, from the Greek and Hebrew Bible into the modern-day language at the time in the 300s and 400s, which was Latin. His Bible's called the—anybody know? Starts with a V, ends with gate. Vulgate, yes. So uh, he translated the Vulgate, a very uh, huge scholar in, in the church history world. And he said this, which is the quote of the day on the back of your notes. He says, about Isaiah, he was more than evangelist. He, excuse me, he was more of an evangelist than a prophet because he described all the mystery of the church of Christ so vividly that you would assume he was not prophesying about the future, but rather composing history of past events. Pretty cool. One more quote about Isaiah comes from this guy, St. Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, St. Gregory was uh, involved in the Council of Nicaea, helped write that creed that so many of us say and believe in. Our New Life Church's Statement of belief is that creed listed on our website. And so one of the guys to have helped form that is this guy, uh, a great scholar of the faith and church history. He said this about the prophet Isaiah, that Isaiah knew more perfectly than all others the mystery of the religion of the gospel. So here we are thinking about Isaiah the book, Isaiah the prophet, 
and I thought we would start off with a little review. Does anyone remember two weeks ago when Adam Molesky spoke? It was quite a while ago, because uh, no, it was three weeks ago, Adam spoke, and then Gabe Jenkins spoke, and then we had a break last week. Uh, we went, the leaders of the mill uh, Sunday school and Friday night went camping, and so we canceled mill Sunday school. I apologize if you came, and you know, and no one was here, and it was such a sad scene. You're like, oh, they don't love me anymore. We do love you. We just, we canceled for our leaders to um, encourage them and, and get, a, get a weekend away. So, Think about Isaiah. If you were here two weeks ago when Adam spoke, if some of you have read Isaiah, think through that. If some of you uh, have a study Bible, you can go and look at some study notes. Um, I want to give you a discussion question. And you, you're, feel free to uh, use your phones and Google things. It, this isn't a closed book test or a closed book discussion question. But this question, what do you know about Isaiah? And I mean Isaiah the book or and or Isaiah the prophet. Just talk at your tables. And if you're at a smaller table, jump into a larger, larger table get some good discussion going. Maybe just list some things like, who, who was this guy? What is in this book? Uh, bring, to, bring to the table, literally and figuratively, what you know about Isaiah. So do that. Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right. I'll uh, try to interrupt your important conversations just to carry us along with where we're at and where we're going and talking about Isaiah. One group said they, they know about Isaiah, how to spell his name. Did anyone else say this? His name is a very hard name to spell. Um, other tables said, oh, he's a prophet. He prophesied, uh, Jordan asked and kind of said, I think he's the prophet who prophesied most about the Messiah, uh, which I think is also true. That's next week's topic. I'm going to research that this week and plan a lesson around Isaiah, the prophet's message about the coming Messiah. And um, so there's lots of things that many of you know about Isaiah. And here's a lot more information. As we get into studying books about God. We get into studying books of the Bible. We get into some very nerdy stuff called hermeneutics and exegesis. And here's, I took a picture of my desk this week. Here's a Bible out and some other books, very nerdy kind of stuff. I, 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 this is the commentary I've been using. It's the New Interpreter's Bible for studying through Isaiah. And as I opened this book and started my study of Isaiah, thinking through uh, exegesis, hermeneutics, things like who was Isaiah? When was it written? How, uh, to whom was it written? Uh, what, when's the historical? Some of you might know this, like, well, when was Isaiah written in history? Um, what was going on at the time? We get into rules of interpretation. And the guy who wrote that commentary on Isaiah, Gene M. Tucker, said this. It blew my mind away, figuratively speaking. He said this, the first rule of biblical interpretation should be this. And this, this, is, this is good. Do not reverse the miracle at Cana. That is, do not turn wine into water. It's like pretty profound. I won't explain that to you. We'll kind of talk about through that um, the rest of this month and, and next month. This idea of, let's, as we get nerdy and do the studying of Scripture, let us not like talk about God as if he's not in the room, as a famous song today goes. So here's a picture of Isaiah, um, probably snapped at a party he was at or something. Um, just kidding. Does anyone know where that painting's at? I'd be really impressed if someone knew. He's like, oh, I know that painting's at. Anybody? Justine Chapel, who said it? Wow, Miss Aaron Spurgeon, I'm impressed. So Eric and I went to Rome a couple weeks ago. 
um, I know, rough life. And we did not see this. We did not go to the Sistine Chapel. It was brutal. Um, I know. I'm sure you feel really sorry for us. But anyways, this picture that Michelangelo painted, uh, there's all these saints along the, the, the perimeter of the ceiling. And Isaiah is one of them. So there he is, in case you're wondering what he looked like. Well, Michelangelo, of course, painted him and knew what he looked like because he only lived maybe a thousand years after. Um, anyways, let's talk about Isaiah. Name means... Uh, Yah is salvation. Yah obviously means Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is salvation. That's what Isaiah's name means. He lived in the 8th century BC. So that's the 700s uh, to the 600s BC. His audience is, well, I'll ask you, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, who does it say the prophecy is written to? Judah and Jerusalem. It starts off, this is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, had during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And if you think about uh, who it's written to, you're like, okay, God's people. People living in Jerusalem, the capital city of Judea, this area of uh, what is today the nation of Israel. And all those kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Judah— if you think about when they were reigning, it's about a 60-year time. So this is not, the book of Isaiah is not just Isaiah sitting down one day and writing down this prophecy and saying, here's this prophecy for this people. No, it's, it's potentially a lifetime of prophetic words that Isaiah received from the Lord, and then uh, it was compiled and written down. In fact, most people don't think Isaiah wrote it because Isaiah speaks about himself in third person. Look again at verse 1, chapter 1. He, it says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, had. It's like, okay, well, he would have said, I had, um, and then introduced himself if, if it was first person, possibly. There's, there's argument about that. But we think someone probably compiled these words of Isaiah and wrote them down. In fact, if you get into very scholarly study, um, you, will th- you will find that most scholars today think that Isaiah, the book that we now have, is, is maybe three different books. First Isaiah, second Isaiah, and third Isaiah. And if you want to sound really smart, to like the, 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 the people around you, you, you can say proto-Isaiah, deutero-Isaiah, or trito-Isaiah, and, and sound even more cooler because that's what the scholars do. Um, and we think that, well, the scholars today think that, okay, the first compiling is to Judah and Jerusalem, and then uh, the, the second um, Isaiah uh, chapters, I have it written down here, uh, chapters 40 through 55 is the words right before they got exiled. And then I, the last part of Isaiah potentially is written after the, the Babylonian exile. And people were remembering back to the words Isaiah spoke and, re- and wrote them down, um, the words that he said. So as an overview, I probably just lost some of you in all that hermeneutics and nerdy kind of talk. In, in an overview, the book of Isaiah is written to God's people at a time when bad stuff was about to happen. God's people were in the midst of rebellion, not living for the Lord, not serving him. Um, And the Lord warns um, Israel, the Lord warns Judah and Jerusalem specifically to turn back, to turn away from the sin that they're in, or else they're going to be destroyed. And so some of the themes in Isaiah are comfort and rebuke as themes in Isaiah. And as I read Isaiah, uh, we were coming back from a a road trip from Minnesota. We were visiting uh, Erica's parents. 
Uh, that's my wife. We were coming back, and I, I had, uh, you have a lot of time on road trips, and I had the book of Isaiah on my iPod, and so I was able to listen to it, the whole book. I want over the course of two days. It took about four hours, so just here and there, I would listen to chunks of Isaiah, and within two days, read all of Isaiah, just as an overview, knowing that I was going to teach about Isaiah here this month and next month. Uh, just wanted like a big overview of Isaiah, get the whole book uh, being read in a short amount of time. And again and again and again, I saw these themes of comfort and rebuke. God speaking through Isaiah for this prophecy, for Jerusalem and, and, and Judea, but then for us as well. It's a, we hold it as text of Scripture. And this idea again and again that God loves us so much that he comforts us and rebukes us. And maybe I'm just a little biased looking at the text of Scripture, the, the book of Isaiah, like this, because my role now as a dad, I have a three-year-old named Jay and a one-year-old named Rowan. And if you didn't know, Eric and I are pregnant. We have uh, a boy or a girl, we're not sure yet, along the way from my wife. Um, so, so I have this three-year-old named Jay, and I love him to death. And I am constantly comforting him and <laughs> rebuking him constantly. Last week, he swallowed a penny. Here he is in the ER. He's like, oh. <laughs> and so if you ask him, Jay, what'd you do last week? He'll say, oh, I swallowed a penny. It's like, oh, well, where's the penny now? He'll say, oh, I pooped it out. And he'll tell you the whole story. It's, he's fine now, but we had to bring him to the ER. He was choking on it. You don't eat pennies. So we had to re- you, you rebuke him. You don't eat pennies. That's what you don't do. He, uh, just everything. Last night, we had to put him to bed six times. We put him to bed he gets out. I'm hungry. It's like, okay, what do you do? You comfort him, feed him. Okay, now get back to bed. And he comes out again. I'm thirsty. It's like, ah, oh, what do you do? You comfort him, give him something to drink, put him back to get bed, and then you rebuke him. Don't get up again. And then he gets out again. I'm scared. It's like, no, you're not. You just want to get out of bed. So you comfort him, and then you rebuke him. You stay in bed, for goodness sakes. And again and again. And finally, he says, he gets out of bed the sixth or fourth time. He's like, I'm just bored in there. Well, that, that's really what's going on. So you rebuke, you comfort him. No, you need to go to bed. You rebuke him. <laughs> put him back to bed. And it's just a constant, like, rebuke, comfort side. That's what my life is when I'm at home. That's what I'm doing. Uh, the other night, he was supposed to eat broccoli. Kids don't like broccoli, didn't want to eat it. So it was like this big deal, lots of rebuke. And he, like, leans over and, like, puts it in his brother's mouth. And his brother... <laughs> little... Here's a picture of Rowan. Rowan, of course, will eat anything. So Rowan ate the broccoli. But then what do you do? You send Jay to his room. You rebuke him, but then you comfort him. And that's continually what a good father of a three-year-old should do. Comfort and rebuke comfort and rebuke. And and as I was reading Isaiah, I was just filled with like the love of God, how God loves us so much that he continually comforts and rebukes his people. That's us. And so let's, I'm going to talk about comfort and then rebuke and then this bigger idea that, and we'll go from there. So first comfort, Um, lots of passages about comfort. Uh, We read one starting off Sunday school today. It said, though your sins were red as scarlet, they will be like wool. They'll be made white. That's a comforting passage. Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to read two verses. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. 
And so you could keep the, the bookmarks, the Sunday school bookmarks, you could just keep one in the book of Isaiah if you're, if you're there. We'll refer to lots of different passages today. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 1, starts off with comfort. Comfort, my people. Says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. And then here's like the, the, the rebuke part, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So there, there's the comfort part. The comfort, my people, yes. And then there's like, but your sins have been paid for because it says you've received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So there's the comfort and the rebuke in the same passage. Isaiah 66, if you want to turn there, I'll read a few verses starting in verse 12. Isaiah 66, turn a few pages, quite a few pages. Um, The last chapter, actually. Isaiah 66, starting in verse 12. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river, which is a line that was taken for a beautiful psalm. It is well with my soul. It starts off when peace like a river attendeth my way. But verse 12, starting in 66, says, This is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and, and dandled, like, like bounced on her knee as a mother comforts her child. So I will comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants. And so there's very comforting language there. But then here's the, here's the other side of that. But the fury will be shown to his foes. Verse 15 says, See the Lord is coming with fire. His chariots, like a whirlwind, he will bring down his anger with fury and rebuke with flames of fire. And then one more verse, 16. For the fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people. And many, uh, and many will be those slain by the Lord. So you see within uh, Isaiah, comfort and rebuke. And we like the comfort part. The rebuke part is a little harder to swallow. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, let's talk about the rebuke, and then I, I'm going to give you a discussion question, which is this. You could begin to think about it. Um, how should we respond to rebuke? And I'll kind of open that up as a spiritual question and non-spiritual. When, when you're rebuked by anybody, what should, your, what should your response be? What could your response be? How could you uh, respond to rebuke in that situation? So here's the rebuke, and this is not easy passage. These are not easy passages to swallow. If you want to turn there, Isaiah chapter 9 is one of the most famous rebukes, maybe in the whole Bible, I don't know. Uh, it's a, an opinion, I guess. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 19, starting there. Isaiah 9, starting in 19, says this, Of the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the, hand will be, the land will be scorched, and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour, but still be hungry. On the left, they will eat, but not be satisfied. They will each feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Can't imagine anything worse. Uh, Manasseh will feed on Ephraim, Ephraim on Manasseh. Together they will turn against Judah. Yet for all this, the anger, his anger, is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. It's a very, like a, like a woe, a rebuke from the Lord about this, the sin of Judah and Jerusalem. And the Lord is not happy with it. Um, Isaiah 13, so flip just a couple pages. Another rebuke, maybe just as famous in the text of Scripture. 
Isaiah 13, starting in verse 9. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for all its evil. The wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Verse 12 says, I will make uh, people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake in its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Pretty hard verses to swallow, to think about. We just read quite a few verses of rebuke. And I'm going to argue that these rebukes are coming from the Lord, who from lots and lots and lots and lots of other places in Scripture, we know how much the Lord loves us and cares for us like a father to his children. And just in, maybe in some sort of way, like I as a father am beginning to understand this. I've only been a father for three years. But beginning to understand this idea that rebuke is a part of love. And if you don't rebuke, well then well maybe there's, there's more, the situation isn't being played out in its fullness because there's love and rebuke in, in a loving father. There's, there's comfort and rebuke from a loving father. So here's the discussion question. And I imagine you can talk about this in very spiritual ways, but it doesn't have to be. I just want to know, and we'll talk through this, what are ways we can respond to rebuke? And say your parents rebuke you. Anybody been rebuked by their parents this week? <laughs> Look at all the hands. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's say a friend rebukes you, or a parent rebukes you, or a teacher rebukes you, or a policeman rebukes you. Um, what are ways you can respond to that rebuke? Right ways, wrong ways, anything in between, uh, anything in between. Ready? set, discuss. All right, guys. Um, sorry to interrupt your conversation. We're going to um, do something a little later that we need more time for, so that's the, the reason why I'm, why I'm interrupting you a little early. Um, there's lots of ways we can respond uh, to someone who rebukes us. Uh, Dan, this table, brought up the idea of, well, what if you really haven't done anything wrong and you get rebuked? Well, then what then? And thank goodness we're talking Uh, spiritually about a God who knows all things. And if we are rebuked by the Lord, we can know that that rebuke, of course, is right because he knows all things. But let's say you get rebuked uh, by a policeman. Anybody ever been rebuked? Anybody ever got a ticket? (laughs) Boo! Um, A policeman pulls you over and they caught you for speeding there's lots of different responses. You could try to justify it. You're like, listen, Mr. Policeman or woman, uh, officer, uh, I wasn't speeding by much. I was only going five over. Or you could try to justify it. It's like, well, when I looked at my speedometer, I was going the speed limit. So you could try to, ju- when, when you're rebuked and called out, you could try to justify it. You could try to argue your way out. Uh, you, uh, with the officer, you could say, well, how accurate is that speed gun thing anyways? Um, maybe you got it wrong. You could attack him or her personally. You could say, listen, officer, maybe you weren't pointing that thing where you should have been pointing that thing. Um, you could, there's lots of ways you can respond. I think at your tables, you probably shared 
uh, maybe some personal stories of times when you were rebuked and how you could respond. But I think ultimately, what our God wants from us when we are rebuked is this. Is repentance. Is, Lord, I am sorry. I feel this conviction of sin. I feel your rebuke. And I am horribly sorry for what I have done. I think of uh, parenting my three-year-old, whom I love so much. And when I'm rebuking him from something, do I want a three-year-old arguing? No. I just, I really want him to say sorry. I'll never do it again. And if I see him hitting another little kid or something, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, this kid stole my toy. It's like, it doesn't, don't hit. Like, you cannot hit another kid. Don't do that. I don't care if they stole your toy. And how important it is for a father or a parent to rebuke their kids. And it is a part of love. Think about like a horrible example that I can't even imagine of like a parent watching their kid run out into a busy road and the parent not rebuking their kid, just watching it happen and saying, oh, I just love and want to comfort my kid. I just want my kid to be him. You know, you go be you. Like, are you kidding? Your kid is running out into the road. You need to raise your voice. You snatch your kid and you, you say, don't ever do that again. Look at what could happen. You could get hit by a car. You could hurt yourself. You could die. Don't ever do that again. A good parent rebukes their child in those times when they're at danger, at times when they need to be corrected. And, and going along with that, when the Lord rebukes us, I think our response, I know our response, should be to repent, to get on our knees, literal, figurative, and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And that's our response. I think there's times when we um, feel a conviction of the Lord and the opposite response can happen. We could be mad at God. I know, I know an atheist, I just met with him not too long ago. He called up the church and wanted to meet with a pastor. And for some reason, I usually get those calls. He's <laughs> like, oh, well, Joe. Well, Joe will talk to this guy. Um, I don't know why, but I've, I've talked to quite a few over the years, and I actually really enjoy it. I've had some great, uh, I would say some friendships come out of these just interesting things where, where uh, an atheist says, I just want to talk spiritually, and sometimes it's a kind of a toxic conversation, but usually it's, there's just some mutual learning that can happen and be shared. Um, and this, this young man, a couple, I would say about a month ago or two now, um, came into my office and was just really mad at the Lord. And he kept bringing up examples um, of like the Lord flooding the earth, the flood. And he said, you know, why did the Lord do that? Why did he have to punish everybody? And he said, he said this, which kind of took me off guard. He said, if I was God, I, I, I could have done better than that. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's, that's very bold of you to say um, a, create, a creation saying to a creator that you could have done better. And he, it seemed like he had a lot of just hate towards God. And it seemed to be stemming from these rebukes that, that, that were in the Bible. And I think, well, what, what a, you know, how different our response should be to God, to a loving parent when a rebuke is made 
how sorry we should be. It's like, yes, God knows so much more than what we know. And of course, we should respond to God with, God, I'm so sorry. And, and looking at this, the text of Isaiah, these rebukes that we see again and again, the Lord is going to, in his anger, the Lord is going to make right and, and hurt, and the Lord is going to destroy sinners. What should our response be? Well, our, our response should be in repentance. I'm reminded of another book, Jonah, if you've read that book. Um, God says he's going to destroy this city, Nineveh. and destroy everything in it. And the people, what do they do? They repent. And then the Lord, at least in the, in, the, in the story, if you're within the story, you see that God changes his mind and does not do what he said he was going to do. So in the same way, uh, uh, the, the book of Isaiah, you see these rebukes, but then you see the comfort. And I think we as believers, Christians, reading this book of Isaiah, um, if, you, if you read the book, and many of you have, and many of you maybe will pick it up. These, uh, there's, we're talking about Isaiah these two months. Um, it takes about four hours to read all of Isaiah, so that's maybe a challenge for, for you fellow nerds to, to read Isaiah uh, within the course of these two months. You will see it over and over again, these rebukes and then these comforts. And so what I want to do now is, um, in some ways I've been looking forward to doing this for quite a few weeks and thinking about uh, studying the book of Isaiah. And that's, I want us to get into the text of Isaiah 1. I want to read the entire chapter and what we're about to adventure on. This will take a little time. This will take six, seven minutes to read all of Isaiah 1. And so if you could take a moment, put away your phones. If, if you are the kind of person that likes to read along, you certainly can. I'm going to read in the message translation, that translation I mentioned before that Eugene Peterson uh, translated. Um, so put away your phones. Get in a posture of listening and hearing. Get in a posture of um, asking yourself, is God speaking right now? And how is God speaking to me? Praying, Lord, would you use these words to speak to me, to say something? What is God saying in this passage to me, to this group, to our table? What is God saying to my society, to my neighborhood as we read Isaiah chapter 1? So, you'll have to stay with me. You'll have to concentrate. If you're the kind of person that likes to read along, read along. although if you're not reading in the message, it might, it might be more distracting. All the Bibles on the table are NIV, and it's a, it's a very different translation than the message. So if you're okay with it, you can just close your eyes and take this word of the Lord in. So it starts off like, like this. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision that Isaiah saw, son of Amos, regarding Judah, Jerusalem, during the times of kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Heaven and earth, you're the jury. Listen to God's case. I had children and raised them well, and they turned on me. The ox knows its boss, the mule knows the hand that feeds him, but not Israel. My people don't know up from down. Shame, misguided, God dropouts, staggering under the guilt baggage, gang of miscreants, band of vandals. My people have walked out on me. Their God turned their backs on the holy of Israel, walked off and never looked back. So just to get us all on the same page, God is here saying, like a child, God raised children and then they walked out on God. 
He loves us so much, and yet many of us at times or with our whole lives, we walk away from the Lord. And here that's what the holy of Israel have done. Verse 5-ish. Why bother even trying to do anything with you? This is God talking. When you just keep with your bullheaded ways, you keep beating your heads against brick walls, everything within you protests against you. From the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, nothing's working right. Wounds and bruises and running sores, unattended, unwashed, unbandaged. Your country is laid waste. Your cities burned down. Your land is destroyed by outsiders while you watch, reduced to rubble by barbarians. Daughter Zion is deserted like a tumbled down shack on a dead end street, like tar paper shanty on the wrong side of the tracks, like a sinking ship abandoned by the rats. If God of the angel armies hadn't left us a few survivors, we'd be as desolate as Sodom, doomed like Gomorrah. Listen to my message, you Sodom school leaders. Receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah schooled people. Why this frenzy of sacrifices? God's asking. Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices? Rams and plump grain-fed calves. Don't you think I've had my fill from the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all the sheer commotion in this place provided for worship, then this. Quit your worship charades. This is God talking. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that, for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go on sinning. When you put your next when you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. It's a very bold proclamation by God through the prophet Isaiah and how often we me specifically just thinking about the church world putting on services speaking studying and then um, going on sinning and the Lord is not happy with that no matter how long or how loud or how often you pray I'm not listening and do you not know because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do what is good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. Come, sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. Here's the comfort. If they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you're willing to obey, you'll feast like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so. Verse 21. Oh, can't you believe it? The chaste city has become a whore. She was once all justice, everyone living as good neighbors, and now they're all at one another's throats. Your coins are all counterfeit. Your wine is watered down. Your leaders are turncoats who keep company with crooks. They sell themselves to the highest bidder. They grab anything not nailed down. They never stand up for the homeless, never stick up for the defenseless. This decree, therefore, of the master, God of angel armies, the strong one of Israel, this is it. 
I'll get my oppressors off my back. I'll get back at my enemies. If you give, I'll give you the back of my hand. Purge the junk from your lives. Clean you up. I'll set honest judges and wise counselors among you, just like it was back in the beginning. Then you'll be renamed city that treats people right. The true blue city. God's right ways will put Zion right again. So there it is, God putting his people right. God's right actions will restore her penitence, but that's curtains for the but it's curtains for the rebels and the God haters. A dead end for those who walk out on God. Your dalances in the oak grove shrines will leave you looking mighty foolish. All that fooling around in God and goddesses' gardens that you thought that you thought was the latest thing, you'll end up like an oak tree with all its leaves falling off like an unwatered garden, withered and brown. The big man will turn out to be dead bark and twigs. And his work, the spark of the fire that exposes man and work both as nothing but cylinders and smoke. A lot to think about there as we conclude. I'm sure that... Your imagination was running. There's a lot of words there. We just spent uh, seven or so minutes reading this text of Scripture. Lots of comfort, lots of rebuke within the same passage. And as we conclude, ultimately, the Lord loves us so much. And that's why he comforts us. And it may seem hard to believe at times, but that is why he rebukes us, that we might turn to him. I'll end with this. Um, uh, Some of you know Andrew Arndt, a pastor of Bloom Church, Denver, and he's spoken on Friday night several times. He tells a story of when he had his first child, a son. He, Andrew, uh, got a a message from his dad that just said three words. It just said, now you know. It's like, yeah. As As a father, how much love father has for his children. And, and maybe thinking through your own childhood and maybe you had a great father, maybe you didn't. Um, but if you had a great father, there was times of rebuke, I can guarantee it. That's what fathers are supposed to do. And of course there was times of comfort if you had a great father. And just like our God who loves us so much, he rebukes us and comforts us. And we can see that and let our imagination be stirred by these prophecies within Isaiah of our own lives times where we need to be comforted by the Lord, times when we need to be rebuked by the Lord. So let's, let's pray. We've, we've spent some time studying. We've spent some time listening to the word of God. And now let us pray to him. Lord, Father who is in heaven, we worship you. May you protect us. May your blessing and mercy of the Lord fill us all. Lord, this week as we are, I pray that we'll have thoughts and imaginations back to this prophecy of Isaiah where we we stopped and took some minutes here to read corporately Isaiah 1. Lord, would you fill us with imagination of within ourselves of what you're speaking to us, to the people around us, to our society, to our neighborhood, what you're speaking to us at work. Lord, if it's if it's a time of rebuke, may we Repent sincerely to you and turn towards you that you might comfort us. And Lord, if we're in a time of comfort, may you you show us how much you love us, your peace that guides us. 
Lord, we give you honor and praise with our lives. We love you. We honor you. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.